I gave an intro this morning, which um, I, I think is probably helpful. But uh, we've got to understand in, in chapter one of the Revelation, uh, we're told that Jesus is walking around among these seven golden lampstands. And it's like, I don't know, do you get pictures in your head when you see things like this? I, I do, but I get a darkened room and there's seven golden lampstands lit up and, and Jesus is kind of walking around amongst these golden lampstands. But then we're told at the end of the chapter, those golden lampstands are seven churches. They're not lampstands at all. And you know what a lampstand does, don't you? Lights up a room. Yeah, lights up a room. Thanks, Ned. It, it shines a light, and that's what a church does. Remember when uh, Jesus says, you know, you, you're, like, you're like a city on a hill. He, sa- he says that, and it, you see the city on a hill at night, the lights. He didn't say, that doesn't mean Fraser's a city on a hill, because Fraser's one little light. A city on a hill is lots of little lights. Do you understand? That's the church shining his light. But that's a mix of my analogies now. So, But um, he... Um, he is walking around among the golden lampstands and so Jesus is looking at the churches. He's studying the churches. He's looking at their actions. He's looking at their uh, words. He, he knows what's in their hearts and he makes comment on those. He gives warnings. He gives encouragement. The example I used this morning is a bit like this. When you've got children, one of the best things you do as a parent is you, you watch them. You see the way they're behaving. Don't, no, don't everyone look at him. Uh, but, and and it, it's really important to watch them because then you're actually given wisdom as how to instruct them. What are you going to talk to them about? You understand? Because... Um, and it's always funny when people say, you know, I haven't got much relationship with my kid and I've never spent any time with my kid. If you never spend any time with your kid, you're not going to have anything to talk to them about, are you? It's not going to be there. But as you know them, then you'll know what you need to teach them. You know what they need to learn. You instruct them along the way. You discipline them. And this morning we looked at Hebrews 6, 5, uh, sorry, 12, 6, which says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines, and I looked up the Greek word. What does discipline mean in this context? Instructs. The Lord instructs the one he loves, so he teaches him stuff, and he chastises, and I thought, I wonder what that word is in the Greek, and it's flogs, (laughs) as in gives him a flogging. He flogs every son whom he receives, right? So there's an instruction and there's also a discipline for things done wrong. And that's talking, sorry, if you didn't get this, this is New Testament. This is the church. And so Jesus is there. He's walking amongst the churches and then he's watching the churches and he's calling them. And um, it, I also said this morning, I won't keep saying that, that um, the messages, sometimes we look at the seven churches in Revelation, say, which one fits us best? That's the one we've got to listen to. But he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, the message given to all of the churches, the Spirit can speak to you through and teach you and guide you. You know, sometimes we've got to learn by making mistakes. 
But if we're really smart, we learn without making the mistakes. Do you, do you understand? Sometimes, we, sometimes we're really smart and we listen to the law of God before we disobey it. That would be really good, wouldn't it? Do you understand? I've done it twice in my life. Before we disobey it. <laughs> um, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Okay. Um, but the truth is that when you bring up children, not all that you do is punishment discipline. Well, you'd certainly hope not. You'd hope a fair bit of it is teaching them things about life along the way. And you'll never do that unless you know what they're doing and what they're thinking and the way they're acting. And the, the, the difference with that is that, you see, we, um, we kind of don't know everything about our children. We've got to ask and stuff. God knows everything about us. Jesus, uh, in one of the stories tonight, was he's got uh, eyes like a flame of fire, it says. He looking, you don't want to look into someone's eyes when they've got eyes like a flame of fire. Why not? Because you know where he's seen. He's looking into your eyes and he's seeing your lunchbox. He sees everything. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, well, you would do, uh, want to look into his eyes if you knew that you'd been made holy through Christ, wouldn't you? If you knew all your sins are forgiven, but otherwise run away. You don't want to be there. Okay, so we're going to begin um, with the church of Thyatira which is where we stopped this morning. And so we're reading from uh, chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, uh, ESV, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So Thyatira, he's saying, it's a, just to, Thyatira is, is kind of a really wealthy trading city. That's, that's what it was. They had lots of trading guilds, as they called them. So they were buying and selling wool and linen and garments and dyes and leather and there was potters and bakers and slave dealers and bronze smiths. That was the sort of town. It's kind of like your industrial productive town. Okay. And Jesus is there. He's called the Son of God. The only time in Revelation he's actually called the Son of God. But Jesus is the exact character of God. Everything you see in Jesus, you see God. Okay. And as I said a minute ago, his eyes are flaming. They penetrate all. He, he knows everything. And he has feet like burnished bronze. That is, he, he, he's good for chasing down, but he tramps out, it's, tramples out his judgments. Yep. Later in the Revelation, it's got that picture of him trampling in the vineyard. Um, and, but unlike the Ephesus church, which we heard about this morning... It had, which had abandoned its first love. Thyatira had lots of works which came from love. So they were, and they were increasing in maturity and good works. They had patience and perseverance. And by the way, it, whenever Revelation talks about perseverance, he's saying this is the heart of the church in the last days. Perseverance is absolutely central. That, that you need to persevere in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is, it is absolutely... Why? 
because in the last days there's going to be lots of things thrown at us that we need to persevere against and through. Okay. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to you each according to your works. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you know there was a queen Jezebel, don't you? And you know, she was an evil queen. Uh, she, was, uh, she was always uh, take, or trying to take the people of God away to worship idols. Um, and uh, she influenced her pathetic husband and, and was always tearing him away as well. Now, I don't think the, the lady in the church that they're talking about's name was Jezebel. I think he's using as a, you know, you've got that Jezebel among you, right? There is a, there's a particular woman in the church who's leading the people into idolatry, okay? And her sin is like that sin of Queen Jezebel. She claims to be a prophetess. Yep, don't they always go together? Yeah, claiming to be a prophet, false words from God leading people astray. I'm not just, uh, you, you don't have to say prophetess there, you can say prophet too. But as soon as you get someone who set, uh, proclaims to speak God's word, this is what the Lord says. Well, firstly, remember in 1 Thessalonians, what do you say? Don't treat prophecy with contempt, but test everything. How would you test it? With the scripture. That's the way to test it. In other words, he's saying, you're not being an unfaithful person if you go, oh, you've said that's from God, I'm going to check that out. That's not unfaithfulness. That's, that's not knocking God. That's the right response. Um, and I, I, I will say, as I, I said this morning, sometimes the heart of the problem with false prophets is not just in what they say, it's not in what they don't say. When they, when they proclaim things that are not based on the character of God, on the work of Jesus Christ, on the gospel, if it's not based on that, what's it based on? Yeah. Works, morality. Uh, us. Hey? Us. Us. Yeah, people. Demons. Uh, so we must judge all prophecy, how we name prophecy nowadays is beside the point. But when a person speaks and says they know God's mind, test it. Okay? And often, you see, this is quite an alive church. We've heard that. Where do those prophets pop up? In, in living churches, don't they? When churches are alive in the spirit, that's when the false teachers come in. Why would that be? Well, the, the devil wants to fight against those churches, doesn't he? It's the, they're the ones he hates. He wants to lead them astray. Now, Jesus tells it straight out, this woman's a false messenger. Uh, she's leading you into idolatry and adultery. 
Idolatry and adultery are always linked in Scripture, really, because when if you commit, if you're idolatrous, you're committing adultery against God, aren't you? Um, you know, adultery. If you imagine this is the picture I use, often is just say you hug your wife, and while you're doing that, you're looking over her shoulder at another woman. Right? Well, imagine you're praying to God and you're kind of looking through Him and you're worshipping something that's not Him. It's a horrible sin in that light, isn't it? Now, this Jezebel has been given a chance to repent and she refused. She refused to admit that a sin was actually sin. And so he said she's going to be cast into a bed of suffering or a sick bed and... Uh, She's cast into the very place where she committed the adultery, really. And there she'll receive her punishment. And if any of the followers don't, uh, the ones who follow her, if they don't repent, they will receive the same thing. That judgment comes from God who searches all things. He knows the heart. Okay. Now, it's interesting. The Greek there says, you know, our, our translation says, who searched heart and mind. It's cool. It's just funny because you see, he's quoting a, a Jeremiah eleven twenty. He says, "The one who searches kidneys and hearts." Isn't that funny? I just think that's funny. But uh, it's quoting uh, Jeremiah. But I also think it's interesting that what do the kidneys do? Yeah, they filter out the toxins. They filter out the false teaching. In this case. He, he's discerning it and he is filtering the words that are coming through a church. He searches all things and he filters them out. Uh, you know, we say it so often, know the scriptures, know the scriptures, because it's the word of God. It gives you the ability to filter. You've got something to actually filter with. Um, otherwise, people can talk crazy stuff and you don't know what to do with it. If you don't know the scriptures well yet, talk to others about it. When people come and say, I've got a word from God, talk to other Christians about it, mature Christians who do know the, do know the word. It's a good habit. Uh, to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some people call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast... Uh, uh, hold fast what you have until I come. So not everybody in the church is following this Jezebel. Uh, not everyone's learning the deep teaching. But you, yeah, I've got this revelation. It is a deep revelation. Yeah, you've heard that? It's a, it's a new revelation. Yeah, 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 Jesus. But this, this new revelation, this deep, it's, there's deep secrets. But often when that comes, when you've got deep secrets and deep, there's always a person who has the, the true meaning. It's always filtered through a kind of, well, a prophet or someone, a mediator, someone between us and God. People who do that deliverance ministry, they have certain people who are like seers and they, can, they see stuff that no one else can see. Yeah, you check that out too. It's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, okay. They can see more blind people. Okay. We have, a, we have a deep truth. 
we have the deepest of truths, what has come to us through Jesus Christ, okay? Don't think that there's some uh, new thing that, that is going to take you deeper with God. Our relationship with him through Jesus Christ is everything you need. Okay. Uh, but it, it, is, it sucks people in obscure and hidden teachings. Okay. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron rod, a rod of iron as, as when earthen pots are broken to pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who hold on to his teachings, those who persevere, he will give authority, the same authority that the Father has given the Son. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. That's what Jesus said. And you, you carry his authority, but that authority is the authority of his word. It's the authority of his truth. And one of the greatest things is that you can know that when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you speak with his authority, God will be working in people's lives. It is effective. The gospel is always effective. Yep. It comes with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And there's no greater demonstration than of a changed life. Um. We can actually expect God. But by the way, when you preach the gospel, you'll always get an effect, negative or positive. You'll get one or the other. Not many people are left sitting on the fence. Yep. Uh, the morning star, I think, is like it's the dawn of God's victory, the, do- the, the dawn of his triumph. You know that uh, there is going to come a a dawning of his grace, a dawning of his mercy. A great light in, does it say in, uh, no, no, sorry, I've got that wrong. Yep. Jesus is that light. Anyway, it reminds me of, uh, you know, those walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's what he says in Isaiah. And then he goes on to talk about who is that? Well, it's the birth of the Saviour. It's the birth of Jesus. Okay, we're going to move on to the church of Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, the words of him who has seven spirit, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Ouch. Yeah, let's be honest. Everybody thinks you're alive, uh, but you're dead. Now, Sardis uh, was at a, built at a junction where there was five roads come together and it was built on the side of a hill as a city, it had three perpendicular sides to the hill and then one place where the gate, where they had a large wall. So it was basically an impenetrable fortress. Okay? It was very, very easily to defend. You could sit on the walls and spit on people and they couldn't do anything. Right? For that reason, the people of the city rarely had guards on duty. Why would you have guards on duty? You're in an impenetrable fortress. So this impenetrable fortress had actually been captured twice before. Once in uh, 549 BC by Cyrus and once in 218 by Antiochus the Great. Okay, Both times it was captured because they were slack. 
people scaled the walls at night time when no one was looking and no one was bothering to look because no one can get to us, right? Yep. They thought they were secure. They weren't secure. This church had come to reflect that city. We're all good with God. Have a look at us. We've got a nice strong church. Yep. And you become complacent and lazy. Jesus, uh, he describes the one who, as himself, as the one who holds the seven stars. That's the seven angels of the seven churches. And the sevenfold spirit of God, which is kind of means sevenfold meaning per- perfect. It's the, it's the revelation's way of speaking of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one who uh, gives out and speaks with the Holy Spirit. And, and if that makes sense. That's very bad language, but anyway. He, enti- he holds the entire church in his right hand, in essence, and that whatever is in your right hand is the thing you value most. He loves the church. He's their Lord. He's directing, protecting. Uh, and he says this, I know your deeds. He misses nothing. Can you see that? Here's a church who looks very, very good and very, very secure. And Jesus says, I know your deeds. That's a bad word in this sense. In the next church, when he says, I know your deeds, it's really good. I know your deeds are good, but in this case, I know your deeds. Do you know, I, I, I think it's Amos 5, uh, 21, this passage where, where Amos the prophet says this. He says, uh, speaking for God and speaking to Jerusalem, and he says, I, or to Israel, I, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I don't like it when you get together, you Israel. What are they getting together for? Sub- worship, yeah. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will no longer listen. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, yeah, you've, your church services are the best, man, if they had church services in the altar. You've got the music, you've got the sacrifices, you've got the great assemblies. Like, this church has got to be awesome. And God says, let justice roll down like a river. He knows the truth. He sees the heart. Okay. So what does he say in verse 2? Wake up. You're asleep, right? The enemy's coming in. Wake up. Strengthen what, re- what remains and is about to die. In other words, you are on the precipice. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So he's saying like the city has no vigilance, have some spiritual vigilance, have a look at yourself and wake up. That's not an unusual thing. Paul says that in Romans 13. The hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. It's time Salvation's nearer now than when we first believed, he says. So it's not too late, but 
the church is about to die if you keep going down that path. Now, just stop for a second. Remember, this is a church that looks like it's alive. It's doing real well. This is not a, just a few people who are kind of sick and dying. This is a church which is strong. Okay. They've become mediocre in a sense. Uh, someone that I was reading said, they're so mediocre, they don't even have the enthusiasm to entertain heresy. <laughs> Isn't that good? They're too lazy to even bother having false doctrine. Just <laughs> yeah. I remember when I uh, was at college and someone was talking about the way to build a good church and our lecturer says, oh, any idiot can build a strong church. You've just got to have a certain sort of preaching, certain sort of uh, background, certain sort of music. You'll get people in. It's completely worthless, but, yeah, you'll be able to have a good and thriving, successful church and you'll get your money. Yeah, go your hardest. That's not the church, though, is it? You can, ha- you can have all that and be empty. Remember what you've received, he says. Obey it and repent. In other words, remember what you had and turn towards that, what you had in Christ. You know the truth. Obey the gospel. Repent, if we haven't, we've said it lots of times, but you know, a repent means a change of mind, which is you are going one way and you turn around and you go the other way. In your mind and in your heart, you are going away from Jesus, turn back towards Jesus. Yep. Okay. Uh, he says here, uh, if, if you don't, I will come to you. I don't think this is talking about the second coming. It's talking about a bit earlier than that. I will come with my judgment, Jesus says, soon. In the foreseeable future. Then he says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life and I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So not all have become lazy. Some people in the church were faithful. Actually, that's often the case, isn't it? You, you find that even in those strong churches who don't have much going for There's usually some faithful Christians standing there who are praying and, and who know the word. They haven't soiled their clothes. Yep, they, they, they're living in that holiness. And uh, God can see those. He's not going to let those go. They, their robes are washed. You know what white robes, it's interesting in, in the, the Revelation, they have their robes washed white in the blood of Christ. I always think that's an interesting Im- image, isn't it? The, uh, they've been made pure through the blood of Christ. But understand that in, in 1 John it says uh, the blood of Christ goes on, the Greek there, goes on cleansing us from all evil. Not just, yes, at the cross, all our sins are forgiven, but his blood goes on washing us. There's an ongoing uh, working of God, an ongoing purity that he brings. And if you overcome, your name will be no man, no way liquid papered out of the book of life. It won't be blotted out. Okay? And the book of life are those who will be saved. 
You'd have to say, I reckon, the church of Sardis is very similar to many contemporary Western churches. They are full of life and yet somehow they're dead. All right, uh, how are we going for time, Mum? Good. Bad. The Philadelphia church, I'm going to go over this very quickly because it's a, I shouldn't really, but it's a church that, again, Jesus brings no rebuke, he just brings encouragement to. A church that is actually uh, going well. Uh, a church that is, is following in the line of David. They, they're acting with the authority that Jesus has given them. Uh, uh, well, that's, it, it, Jesus is... is he, that, that, he says, I know your works in verse 8. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one's able to shut. I know... Uh, and that's quoting from Isaiah 22 about David, actually. It says the same things. The authority that he has over... That he has... He will open every door with, uh, and and yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. I know your deeds, and that's a good thing, says Jesus, because your deeds are good. They don't have much strength, but they've held fast to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. They don't need any more strength than that. How, we shall overcome by what? The word of our God and that's no, right. The the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Yep. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will come to them and bow down. Sorry, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. They think they're right with God. They will find out that. You are mine. Yep. The true Jews are those who follow Jesus. Romans 2 and Galatians 3 says that. Okay? Christians are the true Israel. Those who are opposed were in the synagogue of Satan, which is not fighting words at all. Really, is it? No. Okay. And what he's saying is, I will vindicate my people. Yeah? Uh, we don't desire a vindication because that, then we get all sooky and self-justify. Make me, show me to be right. We want the glory of God. But he will, glor- he will vindicate and, and show us to be justified in the end. And all will acknowledge that I've actually loved you. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To them who try and dwell on the earth, Sorry, to, those, yeah, to try those who dwell on the earth. Sorry, I'm losing a bit tonight. They've patiently endured. Again, that's the revelation sign. They've patiently joined in the sufferings of Christ, which is at the heart of being a Christian. We suffer with him. We, we walk through sufferings. We don't dodge them. Um, it's it's It's... Fine to, for people to pray, you know, I don't want to suffer. Remember what the Chinese church says about Western Christians? Yeah, they say, you're all pathetic. You, you say, you pray, uh, I'm having a hard time, take away my persecutions. And, uh, and we say, may the gospel go out through these persecutions. Mm. Quite a difference, hey? Yeah. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have 
so that no one may seize your crown. Worth saying there, the word crown means Stephanie. Stephanos, the wreath of victory. That's the Greek, the Greek word there. I'm only saying that because Steph's here. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. I'm coming, up, I'm coming soon. Um, do you know, if the second coming bothers you, you need to trust in Jesus because you haven't understood what he's done or you haven't actually had faith in him. The second coming is going to be the most awesome thing ever, right? How's the revelation finish with? Come, Lord Jesus, bring it on. I want this now. Do you understand? Uh, what I'm saying is you have an assurance in Christ. If you don't have that insurance, then you need to ask yourself, am I in Christ? Because he gives you that assurance in the gospel. And keep a grip on your crown. Okay? Everybody else in the world will say there's no victory in being Christian. It's out of foolishness. But there's a deep assurance to those who overcome. You'll be a pillar, strength in the church of God. Never to leave the temple again. I'm going to jump down to the church of Laodicea. I'm I'm sorry, uh, but I will finish this tonight. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Laodicea was one of the richest commercial centres in the world. Incredibly uh, affluent. Uh, And the church was a great example of how you can be rich in a rich society. Uh, It was a centre of Greek culture, it was wealthy, Laodicea was wealthy for a number of reasons. Firstly, they had a, a medicine school there, so they taught doctoring stuff, so they're very smart for healing. Uh, they, there was also, they produced a powder which was there, which they used to make eye balm with, eye balm, B-A-L-M. They used to be able to cure, I don't know whether, whether it was conjunctive eyes or what, but they produced that there. It was also known for its banking and it produced clothes made of black wool. All of this comes important in a minute. They had a colony of about 7,000 Jews and they were given the right to be Jewish in a Roman society. The church uh, was established by Epaphras. You find that out in Colossians. And the letter to the Colossians was said to be... It was Paul said, make sure you read this in Laodicea too. Okay, the church in Laodicea, says John, is in a very poor state. It receives the hardest rebuke of all the churches. There's not much good that Jesus says about this church. Um, these are the words of the Amen, or the word Amen is, is, you know, when Jesus says Amen, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, that's Amen, Amen, I say to you. This is true words. Okay, Um when we use it at the end of a prayer where we're saying, truly may this be, or something like that, may it be so. Um, he says this, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So 
Because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, I know your deeds, they are lukewarm. Okay? And you, you, you ever done that? You've gotten your ute on a hot day and you've got a bottle and you're really thirsty and down goes the hot water and you're... Mm, mm. Yep, when it's, when it's lukewarm, it make, it, the gag reflex comes into action, right? Cold water's good. Hot water, where you put your tea in that, and that's good too. But lukewarm, that makes you want to throw up. Yep. The town of Laodicea uh, received its water from a, a water supply which came from a hot spring. It came by an aqueduct, and so the water that came to the city was always lukewarm. Yep. In Coloss, the town one over, they had nice cold water. And, uh, and the, another town nearby called Hierapolis, well, it had hot water. But Laodicea sits in the middle and the water that they drink is always lukewarm. Uh, Leon Morris said, hot water heals, cold water refreshes, but luke water, lukewarm water serves only one purpose, an emetic. That's something that induces vomiting. That's, that's what it's good for. The church of Laodicea was lukewarm. What does that mean? They had no zeal, they had no life. Well, in a, in a worldly sense, they looked, like the, they looked like the world around them. You know what I mean? When you can't tell the difference between the church and the people of God, when apart from going to church on Sunday and everything else about people's behaviour is like that, what are they like? They're lukewarm. Lukewarm, like the rest of the city. What does that drink? Lukewarm water. Yep. They'd lost their therapeutic value. They didn't heal anybody. They had nothing to offer. You know, uh, then the, what does the church have to be? Well, the church has to be more entertaining than the entertaining world around them, doesn't it? it? And it ends up just looking like the world, more and more worldly. There's nothing distinct. They were tolerant. No holiness. Because, you see, holiness means set apart. means that someone should be able to look at you and say, you're not like the rest of the world. Your hope, your foundation is not like the rest of the world. Basically, this church makes Jesus sick. That's, that's in simple terms what it's saying. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Can you see, can you see this? You're blind. Oh, you're producing the eye powder, yeah, but you're blind. Yeah, you're rich, but you are, you are wretched. You're making your garments, you're no, you've got nothing. Do you understand? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Now, is he talking about gold there? No, he's talking about his purification. His, what's his gold? What's more precious than gold? The law of the Lord, which would always divide and cause holiness. Can you see what I'm saying? And white garments, not the black wool you're making, so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. In other words, you can't see anything and you're so smart. I don't know if you ever really want to be rich. Rich is dangerous. To desire and long for money is a very dangerous thing. It, it, it just naturally causes you to become proud because you can do it yourself. That's what he's saying. I've prospered. I need nothing. Well, I tell you what, as a Christian we say, I am absolutely reliant on God for everything. I have nothing without him. That's what faith is. 
It's saying, I've got nothing without you. Yeah. And if you can do it yourself, you're in a bad place. Pride's always at the heart of sin. It's opposed to God, even if you don't realise that that's what it is. But when you live from your own resources, without dependence on God, that, yeah. Faith kills self-sufficiency. It says, I need you every hour. Okay, don't long for the riches of this world. They're a trap and they're a choke. They will choke you. Christ's clothes are the only thing, his robes of righteousness, the only thing that will hide your nakedness. The only thing that will hide your shame. And he produces good robes. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. In other words, now there's a, that is the, the word of encouragement. I'm telling you this because I love you. you. Hear my discipline. If you think I'm just giving you a hard time, I'm looking to save your lives. So be zealous, have some fire that is, and repent. Turn back to me. If we saw the church of Laodicea in our Western culture, we would say, that is a banging church. It's happening. Yeah. I want you to hear this too. We don't have to pay out the Laodiceans because I believe that God's warning in the power of the Holy Spirit is effective. Those who are his people will hear the word of warning. Those who aren't won't. Okay, they can't. Their ears are not made for it. But that's a good thing. You see, if you find that someone preaches sometime and uh, then you and you get all convicted, that's a good sign. Holy Spirit's working in you. Yeah. Okay. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And eat with him and he with me. Apparently Laodicea had a massive city gate that was closed at dusk and opened every morning. Now, we often hear this in evangelistic services. and and, It's not horrible to do that, but this is not Jesus knocking on the door of an unbeliever's life. This is Jesus knocking on the door of a church and saying, let me in. (laughs) You you locked me out of your church. Yeah. That's the most horrible thing about it. But if anyone hears my voice, in other words, if you have the ears to hear, open the door. Even in the most rebellious church. God is gracious, isn't he? He gives people the opportunity to repent and he gives them the power to repent too. He actually gives them repentance. He gives them faith. So this might sound like a bad news message, but... He knows what he's doing with his church. And Jesus loves the church so much that he rebukes it when it's off. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Now, how about that? That's a big lifting up of these people, isn't it? As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever does what they're told here, you'll, you'll sit on the throne. I did it on. 
Okay. It's been a long message and we'll have to... Is it, you did a yawn. Yeah. Yeah, I know. All right. That's, that's a sign that it's time to stop. But I, I want you to hear just this one more bit, which I, I finished by saying this morning. Understand this. In the church, Jesus is at working. He knows what's happening in the church. We have to, at all times, I know Don Carson, I know him, a great scholar, he says, at least once a month you should entertain the thought that you might be wrong. Wrong about what? Whatever you think you're right about. Have a look at your life and continually say, question, am I living the way God's called me? Allow for his reform, allow for his word to speak to you. Otherwise we get very self-righteous about everything. Allow the word of God to shape your life again and again. If you come across a passage which you either struggle with or you think, I don't know if I agree with that, understand this. It's right and you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, every time. Allow God's word and, and allow the spirit to shape your life and allow the word of Christ to do that. Allow yourself to come under God's reform. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, what you've taught us tonight and we pray for the revelation of your spirit where we need to hear this word we know that there's been times for us where we've shut you out we know there have been times where we've let sexual immorality or sin or idolatry overcome us Father we confess that we know there are times where we don't rely on you where we've become proud and relied on ourselves We thank you for your gracious love to us. We thank you that you love us so much that you discipline us and that you instruct us and teach us. And Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that are attentive to your discipline, attentive to your instruction, that we might learn from you, that we might hear your voice and follow you, the great shepherd. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.